All right, what's up? Welcome, DC Live Monday episode. Another South Carolina loss. This one did feel, I don't know, a little bit different than the week before. Uh, still a loss, though, Chris, um, as we'll break down Gamecocks 30 to 17 loss at Texas AM. First, as always, this show brought to you by Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, ClintHammond.com, 803 771 6933. Do not call that number if you're having Gamecock Central password issues. Do call that number if you want to buy a house or you just want to know if you can afford a house. I know obviously this is not going to be one of those things where I tell you, hey, interest rates are great. It's a great time to buy a house. It obviously is not the finest time of all time to buy a house. But if you're ready to make the plunge, Clint will help you come up with a plan and uh Hey, not as much competition out there if you are buying a house right now. So that's what me and my wife did a year ago. We said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and make this move, and it worked out great. We did it through Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com. Chris, this loss, 30 to 17, if you just glance at that number, you know, it doesn't even sound particularly close. And, you know, I try to – Think about what people's reactions are going to be to what we say. And, you know, I, I don't want this to sound like a moral victory conversation, a moral victory podcast, moral victory episode. But I do think the point of these episodes is to try to point out the theme of that particular game, the theme of why South Carolina won or lost. and. To me, the theme of why South Carolina lost the over just the overreaching reason for that was all the minor details that South Carolina sort of did not take care of, all those little things that they didn't quite complete the technique the way you're supposed to, all the opportunities that they, in some cases, to give them credit, opportunities they created for themselves, but just did not complete were the reasons why they lost by 13 points at Texas A&M on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and that's the best way to break down a game, Wes. Um, there are some games where you might – I can think of a few where you might have a hard time picking out anything good, right? But you shouldn't in every loss just go and say, everything's horrible, everything sucks, there's nothing to analyze. No, you go in – why did the team win or lose within that framework? What were the positives if there were any? What were the negatives if there were any? And of course, when you lose, there are generally more negatives than positives. What is it? What does that game mean? And what does that mean for the rest of the season, right? South Carolina is now less on the verge of a four game homestand. So we've learned who we've learned a lot about this team, right? So what did we learn most recently on Saturday? And, you know, what do those things mean for this team? And, um, you know, that that was the theme. I totally agree with you. Theme of the game is South Carolina had lots of opportunities in this game. And Texas A&M 
made more plays. South Carolina did not make as many. You look at a great example of this, right? You know, the punt block. Josh Simon, he gets a hand on the punt. When that play's happening live, I'm going, this is a block, and South Carolina's got the ball there. Or, in best-case scenario, South Carolina, somebody picks up that football and is running the other way, and now you have a block punt for a touchdown, right? So that, that should have been the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is probably what happened, right, where you get a hand on it, and the ball still travels some distance, and now you've just got a short field as opposed to an even shorter field or a touchdown. But there's so many others, right? You've got a banged-up Xavier Leggett with what's been this season an uncharacteristic drop for him on what would have been, I think, a first down. You've got a 50-50 ball to Xavier Leggett that's been more like 90-10 this year where he doesn't come up with it. You have a more controllable one, West that you pointed out earlier. Kind of bad effort slash bad play getting an A&M player out of bounds when you have a chance to do it. You had a complete blown non-call on Nicholas Harbor on a third and seven. Go ball. Should have been pass interference. Textbook pass interference. Doesn't get called. You settle for a 49-yard field goal. You have the busted coverage. Not really busted coverage. More of a, you kind of played played improper technique, not the best technique, and got jammed up. Got Kind of got caught in the wash, and I Smith catches a football, then runs the rest of the way. There are so many of these. Max Johnson losing the football. You don't pounce on it. You know, some potential interceptions. The list goes on and on. And I'm going to say it because you said it this morning on the GC Takeover Hour. So I'm going to I'm going to bring up the phrase again: narrow margin. We knew this is a game. Most 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 of the games this year for South Carolina, you don't have a big margin. You can't play poorly. You can't leave opportunities on the field and walk away with a win. And that's what we saw. Lots of opportunities, especially early when you're heating up Max Johnson to get a turnover. It never comes. And then you, your other opportunities, a lot of them you left on the table, to be quite frank. And that's what added up to, to not winning this game. Yeah. And uh, so, man, my, my, I kind of started making a list as I go dark here. If y'all are on the video version, I'll just, I was trying to go the natural light version, which looks way better than the actual, you know, in office lighting, but it kind of betrays you when the sun goes behind a cloud. Anyway, so Chris, I was kind of writing down the number of things that I just thought added up. And, you know, on top of what you've said, you have the three intentional groundings, you get a kick catch interference. I don't remember if you had that on your list or not, but nope. I detailed this on the radio show. You go from a minute 28 on your own 38, and it's a 14 to 7 game. And you're kind of saying, look, we're we're you're in this game. You actually, if it's 14 to 7 at the half, I think, and you're getting the ball too. I think you feel pretty good about that, all things considered. And every coach goes into that situation saying, Either we score or nobody scores. And you go from that, and that that was one of the intentional groundings. But you go to that kind of average iffy punt, kick-catch interference, and then next thing you know, A&M is taking over with a minute and five seconds left in the half. On your 42, that is the liter- that is exact same as if you had just turned the ball over. <laughs> and then – 
they get the ball into Anai Smith's hands. And he, you know, he kind of just did what he does, honestly. Like, yeah, that's on the defense. At the same time, you're like, okay, so that, that's why you recruit is to get players like that. The um, the Evan Stewart catch on third and long that put them in a fourth and one. That's one of those plays where I'm kind of like, man, on the on the South Carolina perspective, you're like, it's third and 17. You have to get off the field here. But then from the AM perspective, you're going, that's pretty good coverage. Our guy just made a play. And that's why you recruit. That's why you got to go get five-star guys. I thought, for the most part, the defense played pretty well, man. They just could not force the big turnover. And, you know, I, I think for them, those opportunities were there. Um, there was an offsides on the second touchdown from A&M where there's no guarantee you're going to stop them on that third down, but it was a half the distance to the goal call, and then they run it in the very next play. Um, there was, I think, an illegal hands to the face in there somewhere along the way. I think there was a roughing the passer in there. So, you know, you had all these little things that just kind of add up for you as a defense. Not pushing a player all the way out of bounds, like just sort of assuming, oh, I've shoved him out. This is the ensuing drive after you have cut it to seven when your energy should be at its absolute highest. You know, you have some momentum. You have some juice. And so it was kind of the just the little things, man, that added up. For the most part, the defense battled. They won some one-on-ones. I thought as far as pass rush, they were pretty good at times. But even in the running game, man, defensive running game, you know, where A&M's running it, they didn't get stuck. Like, I felt like against Missouri, they were getting stuck to the blockers, basically. Like, you did not see them disengaging. I felt like there were a lot of times where A&M runs the ball, it's hat on a hat. The, you know, the, the assignment from an A&M standpoint is kind of schemed up the way they want, but a Carolina defensive lineman creates some separation gets off a block and makes a move. So it's a it's a two-yard run as opposed to them getting into the second and third level of your defense, which is something Missouri did a ton of last week. So there are some things to point to that I'm sure the coaches liked in film review. But then because of that, like I don't know which one's worse, because of that, there are probably some things that made them want to pull their hair out reviewing this game as well yeah it is a game i think there's different categories for the games this year and this one kind of goes a little bit more probably in like the georgia category where you feel like it's like a missed opportunity game you know you against georgia you don't force a turnover this game they were a lot closer to forcing a turnover than in the georgia game i would say but, I mean, Georgia game, you're you're up at halftime. You weren't up at halftime here, but you were up at halftime. You'd made some things happen. You just made too many mistakes at the end of the day. A great team in Georgia, you know, came back and kind of did what they do. This one had a different feel, but I think the staff's going to take away, hey, in a lot of areas, we did enough to win. But they were, Wes, we, the, the list that we just went over, your list plus my list, I mean, it was like 25 things on there. And – 
especially with what it's hard to do that just in general and win an SEC game on the road, especially with where South Carolina's at. It makes it even more difficult. Um, there were some things that certainly improved from last week. There were some things that kind of continued rearing their ugly head from what we have seen all season. Um, so you're right. I, I thought about the same thing. Like, what what do you think watching back the film? Like, are you more disappointed almost because you just feel like, man, we played so much better than last week, but there are just all these different missed opportunities. Some of them even have a little bit to do with luck, Les. Wes, where, where the ball bounces when you knock it out of the quarterback's hands, right? Just happens to be an offensive lineman for A&M. Is looking back, there he is. He falls on the football. A referee not calling something. But most of the things – were a lot more in in control and just not enough consistency, right? Offensively, you know, I thought Dow Loggins did a really good job of managing this game because that was the number one question. That's the thing we harped on so much. This AM defensive front is so good. They can cause so many problems. They came into this game leading the nation, tied for the nation's lead in sacks and tackles for loss. They bettered their tackles for loss number. They had 10. I think they were averaging 9.3 going in. Uh, The sacks, they had just four, right? Those were impactful. But I think overall, you managed that pretty well. We saw them move Rattler some. We saw Rattler move on his own some. The pressure is honestly not what I thought it was. And then, of course, you're playing with a banged-up Xavier Leggett, who became even more banged up during the course of the game. Your offensive line continues taking hits, right? And I agree with you, Wes, that there are a lot of times where the defense gave you a chance. Complimentary football is something that Shane Beamer harped on after the game. The second quarter, especially, they did not do that. There were times in which one side of the ball did not give the other two or two sides did not give the other one, you know, the best opportunity to be successful. All three of A&M's touchdowns came on short fields. Two of them were they got the ball in Gamecock territory. So, again, all those things adding up, some good from the game to take away, things that maybe you can build on, things you can say, hey, maybe this area is on track to improve. Hey, they manage this area well. But overall, uh, too many things that were just things we've seen before and, and things that um, you know, were just inconsistent for them. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, all right, let's uh... – Let's see. Before we move further, you want to tell everybody about Trey Harrell? Yeah, let's tell everybody about our buddy Trey Harrell. You see there, if you're on the video uh, version of the show, which we hope you are, at Trey Helps. You can find him on social media there. That's on Instagram. That's on Twitter. And that is on TikTok, at Trey Helps. Why is that his handle, Wes? Well, his name is Trey Harrell, and he can help you. Uh, He's an auto accident attorney right here in the state of South Carolina. Helps folks injured in auto accidents all over Gamecock country. Again, you can find him online, attorneyharrell.com, or on social, IG, Twitter, and TikTok at Trey Helps. So if you've unfortunately been injured in an auto accident here in the Palmetto State, don't go at it alone. Find you an attorney who's going to fight for you, who's going to fight to get you what you deserve, Find you an attorney who helps. And remember that Trey Harrell helps. That's Trey Helps on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, or attorneyharrell.com. Appreciate Trey Harrell helping us to bring you GC Live a couple times a week. 
No doubt, man. Um, trying to think of what direction we go on this thing next. The, the so the the defense, I, I thought, like we said, gave them a chance. And if you're kind of gonna look at the season as a whole, we'll talk about this more as the week goes on. I think a little more big picture, but what the Florida game? I made the comment earlier today. The Florida game is the one you're going to go back and kind of circle like, man, that's the one that could have at least given you a shot at a season that wasn't a complete disappointment. Well, I just. And uh, can you can you hear me, Chris? I'm 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 blinking out in and out here. Um, I, my connection keeps going out, so I don't know if I'm staying with y'all or not, but it keeps going in and out on my end. You're good now. Um, but, yeah, that's the one you look at and you say, what the heck happened to the defense from a matchup standpoint? Like, yes, the Missouri game was, was very ugly, especially off the bat. You get the 24 straight points after the early three and out, but that's a Missouri offense that has been – really good this year. So you kind of knew that was going to be a tough battle for you. A&M, for the most part, against South Carolina's defense, this is an A&M offense that has not been great this year. They've struggled a little bit up front. You knew they had talent at the skill positions, but you could get after them, but you didn't know, hey, what we've seen from Carolina's defense lately, can they even take advantage of that? Because, of, to me, I'm thinking about what I saw against Florida. So that's the game that to me for this defense really just doesn't match what we saw on this past Saturday. Like we saw a defense that was not elite by any means that was not game breaking, but at least gave their offense a chance. And the the problem is it kind of goes back to South Carolina as a team on Saturday was just good enough to get beat. You know, like they were just good enough to hang around but did not complete the plays you need to make to go win a game on the road in the SEC. Because it's not easy to win on the road. It's not easy to go beat a team like Texas A&M. We talked about it all week last week. You were going to need a special teams and or turnover type play to flip this game for you. And you kind of leave this game feeling like they were one of those plays away from having a real shot to go win it. Um, you know, they, they hung around, but they couldn't, they couldn't quite get that stop. Once they cut it to seven, you forced a field goal and really you needed to force a punt in that situation. Give yourself the ball back with seven, you know, down by seven and the momentum on your side. Um, the drops on offense were just key. I went back and looked. So we talked earlier this year about how PFF was giving guys drops even when it's like, man, that's a tough play to give a guy a drop. Right. Whoever graded the game this week was a little bit more lenient. They had South Carolina at three drops on offense, which I remember at least four. Mm -hmm. Four clear drops, in my opinion, not even like, ah, that was a contested catch. Four clear drops, I remember. They also had Max Johnson. At only one turnover-worthy play. Now, 
That's in the passing game only, I think. Like, I think that's literally throws. But I remember two throws that felt definitely turnover worthy. Yep. You have the fumble where he gets hit. You have another play where he gets hit where the ball is just hanging out there. The old proverbial hanging out like a loaf of bread cliche. So the stats didn't really the even the advanced analytics didn't quite back up what I think you would have seen in that game. Uh, the ball was in danger quite a bit, but it kind of goes back to to me that O line though they were banged up, they hung in there, man. But then your banged up receiving core, you just still haven't quite gotten that consistency out of that group that you really need. And Leggett just clearly was not himself. Yeah, I mean, I remember the broadcast going to commercial and they were showing one of those plays where Max Johnson was moving with the ball in the pocket, kind of trying to scrambling out of the pocket. I'm going, man, look at how he's holding that ball. Like, kind of thought it may be an omen for a turnover that would would have been forthcoming, and it just wasn't to be. And that has been, Wes, a huge storyline. You know, South Carolina, what has it been? Three games? you know, without forcing a turnover now, that's that's substantial because this is not a defense that's good enough to just stop teams over and over. I mean, just call it like it is. They're not. And neither have the defenses from the past two seasons been. But the difference has been uh, they've managed some games better because, and you look at the A&M game last year as an example of this, they managed some games better because they're able to force some turnovers. And turnovers are, a lot of it is, you know, sometimes it has to do with some luck in there as far as just maybe the ball bounces somewhere. Maybe the quarterback gifts you a bad throw. But a lot of times you're making your own fate with turnovers. You're creating a sequence of plays, a series of plays where the ball is getting put in danger. That might be your disguise on defense. It might be your coverage. Might be a, a defensive lineman batting a ball in the air or a pressure getting to the quarterback and forcing the ball on the ground or a bad throw. And eventually you'll break through. South Carolina didn't this time. And some of that, again, bad luck. A big part of it, though, just not forcing enough of those types of plays. And West, the, the contrast has been pretty stark. South Carolina was at the top of the league the past couple years and near the top of the country in terms of turnovers forced defensively this year, they've been one of the worst in the SEC, one of the worst in the country. They forced just seven all season. And so when you've had the issues that you've had defensively in the past, sometimes those drives would have stalled or not even happened because, hey, you're getting a turnover here. Um, This year they haven't gotten it. And some of the defensive struggles combined with that, those have just added up. They've compounded and, and it's hurt you. The point on the offensive line, that, Wes, was probably the biggest surprise of this game, I thought, is not we're we're not coming away from this game saying, man, look, I mean, South Carolina's O-line was incredible, right? But I think you do contextualize it. This is an A&M defensive front that has completely wrecked people all year. Alabama, I mean, you name it, they've wrecked people. And the Gamecocks very much held their own. Spencer Rattler was a big part of that. The game plan was a part of that. Were there problems? Sure. And I think we expected that. But I I think they played better uh, than I thought they would have. And that was despite 
more injuries. Trey Jones going down. Tree Babalade, who probably wasn't going to play, coming back in this game. Trovon Ball gutting it out. Um, I thought it was a pretty solid performance by that group, all things considered. They, they gave the offense a chance, and that, that's really what you wanted from them. Like you great, you graded a little bit on a curve, honestly, going into that game. Like um, you know, playing Jacksonville State this week, you expect there to be some times where you you would hope, even with injuries, you can push them around a little bit because you're still an SEC offensive line. We'll see if that happens, but against an A and M front that is one of the best, absolute best in the country at creating tackles for loss and pressures and all those things. It it was a recipe for disaster, honestly. And they hung in there and and just gave Rattler and the other guys a chance, which I think is all you could ask for in this one. I want to respond here, Chris, to a couple of different takes on the chat. First, Taylor on YouTube said he's getting sick of Beamer's coddle culture. Does he ever get angry or hold these players accountable? You know, I Taylor, I think to answer your question, there there's a you can be a team that I know people sometimes think I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. People get tired when you're losing of hearing about all the positivity, right? And that um, you know that they preach love and all this stuff. People get tired of hearing that when you're losing games. But you can have that as a core of your program while simultaneously coaching the guys incredibly hard in practice. Like I think if the practices were open, people would be shocked at just how hard they do coach these guys. Yeah. Like they get after them and Beamer, the the nice guy, is not always the guy you're going to see when he needs to turn it up another level and when he needs to get after him. So um, I, I see why that could be the perception, but it's really not like that at all at, at practices. Like, they do get after these guys and they push them and it's not just, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. What you see is a result of right now they're a two and six going to this past game, a two and five football team. And that's what any coach should do. They should build the guys up when they're struggling. You have to build your team's confidence when you're struggling. He's going to do everything he can not to throw them under the bus when you're in a situation like you are right now. If you're six and two, and coming off of, you know, four wins in a row, that's when a coach is going to try to bring your guys back down to earth. Kind of, hey, guys, we're not perfect. We have to we have to play better. We can't keep playing like this and keep winning games. So I, I can see why, especially compared to Muschamp, that you might think it's only – they're only being coddled. I mean, they just kicked the guy off the team last week. So I – I think that's a little bit of a misrepresentation of how things actually are. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think so. And and I think this is one of those areas. And, and by the way, no, like, you know, disrespect on the take. Like, um, I, I can't – I would say I agree with you on that, Wes, because Beamer is in those private settings more intense than I, pe I think people would know. I do think some people – 
especially when the team's struggling. We see this in every sport. The coach, if a team is losing, is either too intense, you know, not intense enough, somewhere in between. We start getting the press conference analysis of what is he saying versus what he's not saying and their dissatisfaction with that. I think generally, again, losing makes everything worse and people look for other things, right? And, and of course, the way a coach conducts himself, the motivation, the coaching, all those things matter. The point is, if you, if you want Beamer to pull a Nick Saban on the sidelines, you aren't going to get that. That's not who he is on the sidelines in that setting. You're more apt to get the Shane Beamer who's dancing around after they block a kick like we saw you know, a few times last year. You will see that. Um, is it always like that in practice? If somebody messes up in practice, is he always going over and putting an arm around them and telling them it's okay? No. We, we see, you know, we see the very public, you know, incarnation of that. And um, that's not always what it is, you know, behind the scenes. But, but I get that. I mean, we, we always see this, Wes, um, where some people think it should be more intense. If he, you know, wore a Nick Saban type coach and he blew up somebody on the sidelines. Some people may say, why are you doing that? You know? Um, and this is something where, you know, this is how he's kind of built the program, right? So after the Florida game last year, I remember similar things, you know, why are they not blowing players up? There's no accountability. They go out, do what they did at the end of the year. Um, that's not to say, they're without they should be without criticism the way has been the exact right way it's just the point i'm trying to make is when they're losing we we tend to analyze these types of things more yeah when it is interesting a few weeks ago you had people saying in the press conference well beamer's not taking responsibility for the losses he's putting it on his players he's been too hard on the players with what he's saying in press conferences so regardless you're going to have different people give different takes when you're not winning games to your point, Chris. And uh, I think that's where we are right now, man. If you're six and two, nobody, nobody cares about that side of things. I think uh, Travis saying the difference between this year and the past two is really special teams have not had the dynamic touchdowns that we had in the past. I can agree with that to an extent, Travis. Uh, I think you look at the number of games that turned because of big special teams play or just by avoiding negative special teams plays. I mean, if you could add one or two of those sprinkled throughout the season, is it a different year? Very possibly. I think you have to add in the defensive force turnovers into that conversation as well. And, you know, and just having last year an offensive line that – I mean, let's let's be honest. A lot of people throughout the year were saying the O-line needs to be better, right? But then, you know, that was, Chris, one of those things where, oh, it can't be any worse. Well, then you saw at times this year, um, you know, the, the other side of that statement. So um, not to get too negative there, but you, you see where I'm going with that. Travis uh, also saying the wide receiver room being so slim, shouldn't we run the ball more? Mario is a 20 to 25 carry back. You know, I would say to an extent, Travis, I, I agree with Mario, first of all. If you want to point out a positive from this game, 
I thought Mario Anderson was fantastic. Looks more and more Mike, like Mike Davis every day. Um, he looks like he's running even more confidently. He's breaking more tackles. He looks more comfortable. He's running to daylight. And, you know, I, I think anytime you can get the ball to Mario, that's a good thing. I also feel like this is not a front that you can just go say, we're going to run the football every first down and have any success whatsoever. Uh, that front being A&M, I mean. Like, I, I feel like this was a game where you looked at and said, you were going to have to throw on first downs to beat A&M. And, you know, they, you asked earlier, did they throw, did they run the ball at all in the second quarter? I don't know that they did, but also all three of those drives got blown up by the intentional groundings. And the, the first drive was on the intentional grounding was on first down, I'm pretty sure. So at that point, the drive is ended up being completely blown up. Uh, let's see another question. JD says, Jay Diz says, Jaron Willis got to play and was killing the quarterback. We took Willis out and didn't see him again. So I already had Jaron Willis written down. Let's talk about him a little bit, man. I thought, first of all, there's some positives there. Like he flashed, he flashed big time. And my, my take, was not, oh, well, he looked good. Why did they take him out? My take was, for one, kudos on him for continuing to come along, even though he was not playing, frankly, really at all on defense before. And two, we're also quick to judge. I thought it was a smart move to find a way to get him on the field. They it appears they created a third down package for him. And so I think that will continue to expand. I think um, basically they said, what's a good way to use his skill set and get him on the field? You saw some true Charlie Strong, Zach Arnett, three three five stack with yep. him and Bam Martin Scott both on the field on third downs. And they got after it, man. Those guys have some pass rush juice. So, um, it wasn't – I don't think, Chris, we saw Jaron in there like as an actual sub in South Carolina's base defense. It was more, hey, here's your package. Here's what you need to do in this package and go excel at it. Yes. And this is a guy that has come along. You know, there, there were a lot of questions about him, Wes, from Gamecock fans, subscribers of Gamecock Central before the season. Because he was, you know, a four-star guy in high school, was transferring from an SEC program, was an interesting player coming out of high school West because he had played, you know, some DB in high school. He played some rush end in high school, and so you knew he kind of brought some pass rush juice. But he's been someone that, you know, I heard at Ole Miss just needed to continue coming along. Like the athletic ability is there, and so he's clearly done that. Um. And I think, find, like you said, finding a role for him that, hey, it may expand. You know, maybe the staff looks back at, at the game and says, hey, we need to find a way to get him on the field in that package more. Um, for whatever reason, and I'm not going to pretend to know because uh, I honestly don't, they have not 
it seems like they haven't really slotted him. Definitely haven't slotted him at the Mike position, Wes. I know coming into the year, he was outlined as more of like a Sam or maybe a Will linebacker. Um, they probably feel like that fits his skill set better. But he's someone that Shane Beamer's mentioned really, I think, a couple weeks in a row leading up to this game that he he's flashed. And you can see those physical traits. Like he he is kind of like Bam in that he's he is twitchy. He can run, can give you some of that pass rush juice. And so he he may end up being, you know, an, an important player that can give them a little bit more down the stretch as they try to find some answers from a pass rush standpoint. Well, I think every guy kind of comes along at their own pace, both physically and in terms of, you know, playing in a defense and playing in a scheme and doing all the little things they're asking for you. Like, it, I think it's it's one thing to be ready to go, hey, we're going to put you in and our entire playbook is at our disposal while you're on the field versus, hey, here's your package. Let's get you comfortable doing this first. So Willis, to me, he's maybe that guy you circle. Build off of your finish from this year, and then maybe next year you go into where you're pushing for one of those main rotational spots in the four-two-five, those two main linebacker positions that are on the field pretty much every single play. And I, I think I was trying to go through, we may have seen the actual 4-3 maybe once in the game, Chris, I think, but for the most part, and, and uh, if we did, Willis was on the field, but for the most part, they were in four-two-five, their base. They were in that three-three-five in some third downs. And then they actually were in a dime look like once where – and that, that was on the third and long early on where David Spalding was on the field and they hit that uh, sort of deep-ish ball down the middle to, to Evan Stewart. That was like a cover two man. I think that South Carolina rarely runs that coverage, I think. But anyway, even when a season seems lost, there's always little details you can take away from a game. And that that was a nice – just, Chris, I thought that was a nice tweak, a nice little add to the old repertoire on defense to try and create more pressure. Um, let's see. We saw Judge Collier get a start at cornerback. Yep. That was interesting um, with OD unavailable for the first half. Connor Cox played some special teams. Keenan Nelson Jr. has been listed as a safety on the depth chart for a couple of weeks. I don't know about you, Chris. I was number searching when DQ got disqualified from the game. Who's going in next? Yep, yep. That was my question. That ended up being 18, Keenan Nelson Jr. Um, and, and made some physical plays, actually. He had uh, he had the one stop where he came flying in there, you know, near the goal, down there in the red zone, inside the five that, Gamecocks honestly like had had the running back in the backfield and kind of missed a couple tackles. Not kind of, they did. Guy kind of slipped out of there, and in comes Keenan Nelson made a made a nice stop for them. So, I, and I think Wes, you know, that safety position, thinking a little bit more long term now, that might fit him pretty well. I, I'm interested to to see that continue. So, I, obviously, Nelson was the game one starter at nickel, and the Gamecocks have used you know, a few different guys there from a personnel standpoint at the nickel spot. And so um, 
having him back there at safety, I, I thought was interesting because I had the same question as you. You know, who, who's up next? Who's going to go in there? Uh, and it was him. So interested to see, you know, how how that goes going forward. If he stays there, you know, for the long term, for the future, for next year as well. Uh, let's see, Chris. They actually just put out the depth chart for this week. Last week, it didn't change at all what they put out. This week, and again, usually we've said this before, but when they put out a depth chart, it is reflecting what you just saw in the game last week. And I don't think, Chris, that this was written out this way before. They actually have Nick Harbor, who made his first career start this past week, now listed as an official starter on the depth chart. And I, I thought that was interesting, man. Leggett obviously went into it hurt, but he's he played, obviously wasn't quite himself. And but it, the real change was that it was Harbor on the other outside receiver spot as opposed to Omega Blake. And we had seen Omega Blake for a good portion of the year step into that starter's role. This week, we thought, or at least I thought, well, if Leggett can't go, Harbor may get his first career start. It was, well, Leggett's going to start and Harbor's going to get his mm -hmm. first career start. And the snap count reflected that as well. It did, you know, and, and that was, um, I, I kind of got an, an inkling, West that Nick Harbor, regardless of Leggett's health, was probably going to play more. Certainly if he didn't, you know, was limited more than he was, Leggett ended up playing, you know, even more snaps than I thought when I went back and looked at the snap count. Um, but but Nick's been coming along. Nick Harbor has been coming along. He's been working really hard, which Shane Beamer has alluded to. Had the early drop, rebounded, made some big plays, you know, in the game. Um, again, thought he should have drawn a pass interference on the go ball, kind of using that size, using that ability to get over the top and get vertical. And he did some really nice things. So he he's clearly earned that time. He's come along, Wes. He's progressed, right? Like you get a freshman in with his talent level, but you know he's raw. If you were reasonable and you understood like the climb and you understood the process, you knew that he wasn't going to go out against North Carolina and catch 10 passes and have three touchdowns in the game. That, that was not a fair expectation, but, you know, would he make a jump at some point? And I think it's fair to say that he has. Now, have the injuries at receiver played a part in that? Yes, but I think simultaneously uh, Nick's been working really hard on his hands, been spending extra time, and that's showing. I, th I think he's starting to get more confidence. Clearly, Spencer Rattler has confidence in him and is going to keep looking his way as well. You got to love how Rattler – not only just the leadership quality of going over there, great job by the SEC Network crew, I thought, and detailing that, how you see Beamer go right over there, you see Rattler go right over there, and clearly Nick was frustrated with himself. That's not easy to drop the very first ball of the game. And some guys maybe go in the shell a little bit, you know, eh, don't throw it to me, like, and – Rattler Rattler came right back to him. He really kind of put some balls on him that he didn't he didn't even have a choice but to catch. Like Rattler's like, I'm I'm going to you. Like you're gonna catch it. And you know, made some great throws, I thought, with tight windows. And I thought you've started to see a little bit, maybe something that people didn't know if it was there or not. A little bit of the after the catch with Harbor. It's not just straight line, man. You saw a little 
busts out a little spin move, a mm-hmm. little bit of uh, shiftiness there. For a big kid, he has good feet. And th- this is the part where I think it could start to get fun because you can see the confidence building. You can see the ability starting to show through. Just the pure athleticism. I think Tyler had used the word clunky um, a little bit. That's a good way to describe it. You can just tell he's feeling his way out, but the natural athleticism starts to shine through too. And so these final four games, I think you, you're if you're a fan and you're trying to, you're like, man, I'm over this season. What's something to even be excited about? To me, it's watching a continue to grow as this year progresses. Yeah, that, that's that's a big one. I mean, the people are getting what they want, right, on that front. Um, I want to see Nick Carver play more. Well, here it is. You know, you're probably going to get it. We'll, we'll see, Wes. I mean, we don't know. We don't know for sure Juice's status for next week or going forward. We don't know what A.B. looks like going forward. Leggett will probably be fine, right? But will he be dealing with some things? Maybe. But it seems like regardless – we're going to be seeing more of Nick Carver. And it it has been pretty cool to watch that progression because what he is now is not what he was at the beginning of the year, for sure. Uh, And it's not what he's going to be by the end of the season. It's not what he's going to be next season or by the time he's finished at Carolina. So, you know, you want to start with that canvas. You want to start with the athletic tools. And he had a lot of them coming in, that size, um, you know, obviously the the long speed. And then he he had some other elements that in terms of being a wide receiver and not just a big guy that can run, he needed to continue to develop. And uh, to his credit, um, he's he's done that. He's he's continuing to do that. For sure, man, for sure. Um, all right, a couple more things here. But first, head on over to our friends at Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash Gamecocks or slash Gamecocks. And you can get a free hydro hydro style flask water bottle. Hydro flask style. Hydro flask style water bottle. I should really write that down, Chris. But really, and that's with any purchase. Go check out the old polo shirt from these guys. Oh, wore it last night. Yeah. Chris wore it last night. Best fitting, most comfortable, softest. I mean, this thing is off the charts. Bird Dogs, I thought, was more known for shorts. That's what I knew them as. But this polo shirt, been telling anybody and everybody that will listen about this thing. Support those who support us. Go check out Bird Dogs. And, uh, Chris, I know you've been, you've been rocking them shorts like it's going out of style, man. I, uh, Wes, I, and I was going to say, at first I was going to say, like, I'm embarrassed to admit. I'm not. I, I will tell anybody. I'm wearing them again right now. I've got on the bird dog shorts again. It's like it's like an almost daily thing for me because they are so comfortable. Love my bird dog shorts. Love the shirt. You can love them too. Yeah, go check them out. Use promo code Gamecocks or just go to birddogs.com slash Gamecocks. And Jacksonville State coming in, man. Is there anything else on AM? I don't think that- so, man. That we did not hit that you want to hit? I don't think so. I've uh I got an insider report for those listening live. It'll be out in about an hour. A few more thoughts. And hey, uh how, 
think I've... How about going over my notes I took as I was rewatching? How about Kilgore now adding punt returner to his resume? Yeah, dude's doing a little bit of everything. Um, what a what a player! Great recruiting what a dude. Hit. Yeah, he's he's a dude. He's he's got the dude status for sure. And uh, I mean, he's already really good, man. And to think about how good he could be, you know, in year three. Because I don't know if they'll have him beyond beyond that. Quite frankly, um, with the way that he's played, the way he started his career. Yeah, he's a dude. He he's got so many of the traits and. Uh, just a, a big time kid too, you know, big time young man with how he how he handles his business. So this was preseason media day. Every player, every coach was available. I was kind of just chatting with Pete Limbo, but you know, on the record. And I was kind of just leading him into talking about punt return spot. And I I said, so I'm I'm assuming A B and Eddie Lewis are, are fighting it out for that role. And uh, Limbo's like, again, this is way back preseason. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he's like, you're right. He's like, but don't forget about Jalen Kilgore. And so even back then, he had seen something where he was like, this guy could help us at that spot. and. Man, some some guys just make things look easy. Kilgore appears to be one of those athletes that makes like everything look easy. And frankly, I, I gotta think South Carolina got tired of some of those punts hitting the ground and losing field position, right? Yeah, I think so. And and Wes, the to me, the mark of a really good punt returner is when you can you can do it and just make something that seems unfathomable to the average human to be able to catch a ball just look simple and you know he did the classic like kind of catch it like off your shoe tops falling down but was totally in control it seemed like the whole time uh, against A&M so I mean look this was a guy he did it all in high school he played multiple positions he played all three phases of the game all sides of the ball and he excelled in all of them and so you know, no surprise that he's been able to come in and do it with his his skill set and the type of guy that he is. But yeah, it was interesting. You know, with with AB out, seems like they wanted a little bit more. You know, and, and gave him a shot. And I thought he uh, he did well. Not surprisingly. Yeah, and y'all just wait if they if they can get room for him out there. Kid can run too, man. And uh, you know, I, I think has some shiftiness to him. Wouldn't be surprised to see him break one at some point in his career if he keeps holding on to that job moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that kind of closes the book on this. We'll obviously react when the coordinators talk about this game and then the next game on Wednesday as well. But Gamecocks versus Gamecocks for the first time ever. And South Carolina opens as a two-touchdown favorite in this game. I saw it as high as up into the 16s. I saw it as low as 13 and a half. Um, I saw it kind of settling around 14 and a half on one site. But, Chris, we talked about this off air. I don't know if people remember. This game was originally with Liberty. Yeah, that's 
Can you imagine what the conversation would be like right now? Like, there are already some fans that are a little bit iffy on this game, you know, because of how things have gone in Jacksonville State. I mean, not a bad football team, Wes. But, man, imagine being two and six, staring down the barrel of a of a really good Liberty team coached by, by Jamie Chadwell, who was in the mix for the job uh, when it came open last time here in Columbia. That, that would be something. And who was the head coach at Coastal when they were supposed to play in 2020 with a really good Coastal football team. Really good. That team. obviously never happened as well. So, yeah. um. I don't know much. We'll, we'll dive into this game as the week goes on. I don't know much about uh, this Jacksonville State team itself, but um, they they've won some games, man. So seven and two. You're gonna have to play. You're gonna have to play if you're South Carolina. Not a just not a just show up game. Like you're gonna have to show up <laughs> and play. And uh, we'll see what happens. But we'll dive into that as the week goes on. You know who always shows up for you, Chris? It's our friends at Liberty Tax, 803-462-5576. Tax time right around the corner. Go ahead and get settled in and get yourself ready. There may be some things you can do right now to better situate your tax situation for next year when you're doing your taxes. Hit them up right now, 803-462-5576. Three convenient locations right here in the greater Columbia area. All right, Chris, I'm tapped. What about you? Me too, man. Let's save some from uh, later this week, though. We shall. All right, appreciate y'all hanging in there. I know, uh, believe me, I know the season's been tough on y'all. Appreciate y'all staying dialed in. We'll see what can happen these last four games. Who knows? Maybe they run the table, man. A lot, a lot better matchups down the stretch for South Carolina, but it starts with not looking past Jacksonville State this weekend. For Chris, I'm Wes. Appreciate y'all. As always, y'all have a good one.